Okay. All right, so I'm going to talk about women in the church and... Uh, Go ahead, say it again. Going to talk about women in the church. Okay. And uh, just um, because there are so many um, schools of thought on, on what women's roles are and, and how women are supposed to be and, and what their... Uh, what the responsibilities are and things. And so uh, um, it's just caused me to want to study it for myself because, you know, so much of the time we go to church and we're taught what we're to believe about certain things and we just believe what we're taught. And, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is I want to know what the Lord is saying. I want to know what the Word says about it and I don't want to just, you know, I don't... And, and the thing is, is I don't want to be rebellious about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, there's there's a difference between a revolution and a rebellion. And a rebellion is all about me, right? But a revolution is about the greater good or whatever and stuff. And I, I believe that in, in many places in the church, we need a revolution, but we definitely don't need a rebellion. And so... I want to talk about women's roles in the church, church, and I want to study it, and I want to explore it, but I want to do it in a way that's respectful. I want to do it in a way that's, that's um, uh, submitted, you know, that's not um, just prideful and arrogant. And it's not about knowledge, and it's not about, you know, we're not, we don't want to feed our egos, or it's not about, like, us having more information or anything like that. The thing is, is when God created the world... The Bible says everything was chaos, and God spoke in that chaos. He said, let light be. And so in the midst of chaos, brought, God brought order, and he said, it's good. And so the thing with the truth and the word of God is that whenever the truth comes, it brings order. Whenever the truth comes, it, it dispels chaos. And when, when we start walking in the truth, God looks at that and says, it's good, Right? So, and the problem is, is when we're walking in falsehood, it's not good. Because, number one, it gives a false testimony to the world. And we're telling the world, this is what God's like, when God may, in fact, not be like that. And as the church goes, the world goes, right? Um, I mean, I remember when they were doing the Left Behind series and stuff. Like, so many unbelievers were reading the Left Behind books. And, uh, you know, and it's like unbelievers are just caught up in the things that the church is doing. And, and it's like they follow what the church does. And so we as the church, we have, an, we have a responsibility to unbelievers to, number one, know what the truth is. And then number two, live what that truth is. Because it's not just enough to know what the truth is. You have to live it. And so, again, when we study this, we want to do it in a, in a way that's respectful. We want to do it in a way that's peaceable. And, uh, you know, we don't want to, again, do it and say, well, now I have more knowledge and I'm going to flaunt my knowledge or anything like that. It's just so that we can know what God says. It's what we, our, our whole goal, our whole desire is to know what God is speaking to us as his people. And, and that's the only goal. Um, we know that scripture says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so, again, what we want to do is, is we, we want to be able to edify the body of Christ and, and to share what God teaches us in a way that's humble and, say, and, and, and again, peaceable. Because, you know, so many Christians, we, we, we learn some doctrine or we learn a few things and then we're like gunslingers, right? And we're just shooting from the hip. What happens is, and I'm not saying that we're oppressed or anything like that, 
um, because we're not. But, but in a lot of churches, women are not allowed to speak. Women are not allowed to teach. Women are basically kind of relegated to the background and stuff. And you can teach kids or, you know, we even went to a, a church where um, the, there, it was a husband and wife uh, team that led worship. And it was actually the wife that was the worship leader, but she couldn't be called the worship leader because she was a woman. And so the husband was called the worship leader, and he didn't lead worship. It was her that led it, you know. And so the thing is, is we play all these kind of, these uh, kind of uh, these gymnastic things and stuff, and it's it's semantics, and it's like, well, he's she's not the worship leader; he's the worship leader. Even though she picked all the songs, she led the songs, she led the worship, and everything, and she was truly the work. She led the worship. And stuff, but in order to justify and to try to make it fit with scripture, it's like, well, he's the worship leader, and so that's what we do as a church. And um, and the problem is, is a lot of times when people find freedom that have not experienced freedom or that didn't have freedom before, actually, you can turn on that fan. It's one of those light switches there. Please, thanks. Is what happens a lot of times when people find a freedom that they had not experienced before is that a lot of times people use the, their newfound freedom as a weapon, right? I mean, you look at the French Revolution. Uh, uh, all of a sudden, the people that were that were um, under the authority, the despotic authority of of of, of, of the kings, after they they killed the kings, blood ran through the streets. And so these people that were once uh, enslaved were now free, and they used their freedom not for good, but they used their freedom to, to exact revenge. And again, I'm not saying that we, that women in the church are slaves or, or bound or anything like that, but to some degree, any time when there, there hasn't been a freedom, when now someone has a freedom that they didn't have before, there is always the temptation to go overboard with it. I think that's exactly what's happening in this country right now with the race relations. Um, it seemed to me growing up as a kid that, that, that we were progressing, right? We were all getting beyond that. We are all starting to learn how to live together. And now the media is just boiling it up and every time something happens they they they're quick to point out and and that's the thing with the media every time something happens they're like well what are we going to do about this we need to see that justice is done we somebody needs to be punished somebody needs to be held accountable and i do believe that in a society that there has to be that to a degree or maybe even to a large degree people have to be held responsible for their actions but when it comes down to personally, when it comes down to us as believers, we have to forgive, right? And um, the thing is, is when you're always churning up the past, when you're always churning up the hurts that you have experienced in the past, and you're always churning that up, then, then there's a problem there. Because at some point, you have to be able to forgive. At some point, as believers, maybe not the world, but as believers, and even the world, because if you walk around, just like you guys learned at that conference, if you walk around in bitterness and unforgiveness, the Bible says bitterness is, is Rotten it's rottenness to the bones. And it's true that a lot of diseases and a lot of sicknesses are caused by unforgiveness and because of the bitterness that is pent up inside of people. But especially as believers, when, when God sets us free from things, 
It's not for us to, to exact revenge. It's not for us to go around saying, well, you guys were wrong and you guys owe me for this or, or anything like that. Our job is to forgive and our job is to show people the right way, but to show it in gentleness and in love, right? Um, and the thing is, the thing, say like with the women's movement, with feminism, um, you know, in the 60s, it was all about equality. Well, okay, well, once you get equality, then what? Well, you got to keep going or do you stop there? Do you have to exact revenge? And that's the thing, with a lot of people, they don't want equality. They want to be in charge and things. And, and what God wants is for us to live in harmony. He wants us to live in peace. And God created us all the same. God created us with equality, and he wants us to live in that equality. None of us lording it over each other. None of us, it's all for us to be on an even plane. And that's what God desires for his church. God doesn't desire for women to be in the background. God doesn't desire women to be a second-class citizens or, or anything like that. We went, to, um, when we went to El Salvador. I don't know if it's like that in Guatemala. But we went to El Salvador, and we, we went to church there. The women in the churches sit on a different side than what the men sit. It's like this is the women's side, and this is the men's side. And so, you know, there's still a lot of things that, I mean, we've come a long way, but... There is still a lot, especially that God wants for his church. He wants, he wants, there still needs to be a lot of change because there is still a lot of places. I, I, I've known of places where if there was a women preacher, people would get up and walk out. And, and the thing is, is where does it start? Where does it stop? I mean, okay, so we allow women to teach our children, both boys and girls, but at what age does that cease, right? And, um... You know, we have, a, we have a friend that um, was in a really good church, and I'm not going to name names. Y'all would know this church, but it was a really good church, and she was getting really good discipleship. Her, they brought their kids up in the church. They had great relationships within the body. They were involved. They were in some aspects of leadership and stuff like that. And the church let a woman preach one time, and they left the church over that one thing. And yeah. it's so sad to see because they sacrificed all their relationships, all the relationships their children had with other children and good kids and all that for this one thing that they had to be was that big of a deal to them yeah and so while we study this i mean we're going to look at the scriptures we're going to see what god says because if that's what god has said then that's fine right if god has said that and that's what god means by what he said then we'll obey god Okay, but the problem is, and we'll get further into it, sometimes the things that look obvious on the surface are just obvious on the surface, but when you dig into them, they're not quite as obvious as you first thought. And that's the way the Bible is a lot of times. And um, back to the, um, like the, um, um, like, you know, it's like the whole thing where women say, well, men, and, and the thing is, is the Bible does not do away with gender, Okay. There's been gender since Adam and Eve, and the Bible doesn't do away with gender, but at the same time, it doesn't say one gender is better than another. Um, and, and this whole thing, again, with the feminism, is like, well, women are like, well, I can do anything that a man can do. That is not true. I mean, the thing is, but the point of the matter is, is women can do some things that men can't do. 
Women can do lots of things that men can't do. Men can do some things that women can't do. And the, the, the thing is, is that you don't look at your differences and downplay some, you, the differences. You look at the differences and you exalt the differences, right? There are things that, that make women special because of the things that they're able to do. There are things that make men special because of the things that they're able to do. But again, it's on the same footing, and it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. Um, and I think that, you know, it, you look at the... And I think what happened in, in, the, in ancient times is because in ancient times, they didn't have all the modern things that we have. They didn't have cars. They didn't have... Um, houses with air conditioning and things like that if they wanted food they had to go and hunt for it right if they if there were wars they had to fight hand to hand it wasn't they didn't you know they didn't fight from jets they didn't shoot guns from you know 500 feet away they fought hand to hand and so i think what happened is because men had power that they begin to flaunt that power right and they begin to use that power because that is the heart of man Right. Whenever man has power, the unsaved, unregenerated man, when unregenerated man has power, he will flaunt that power. He will use that power to get what he wants. And so I think that that's pretty much what has happened throughout the history of mankind. And that's not the way it was meant to be. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is God's original intent. Now, there's something about the Bible that's called first mention, okay? Uh, a lot of times, whenever you want to know God's thoughts on a particular subject, you can go to the first time that subject was mentioned in the Bible. Does that make sense? And a lot of times in that first, and I'm not saying that's the complete picture or, you know, whatever. But I'm saying a lot of times in that first mention in the Bible, you can get a good picture of what God is trying to say. And so this is God's first mention in the Bible of, of male and female relationships. In verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And he says, And let them. Do you see that? He says, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man or mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So if you're reading this, you see off the bat that God's not saying, well, God created man and then he also created woman too. It says he's created them, and he says, let them rule over everything. They are co-rulers. They are together. God is not seeing them one higher than the other. And again, we believe that there are functions in society. We believe that there are functions in marriage, and that um, um, it's not a... Even in the, even in the Trinity, um, it's not like there's hierarchy in the Trinity. But Jesus submitted himself to the Father, Right? But it doesn't mean that Jesus is lesser than the Father because all three members of the Trinity are equal. And so, but Jesus willingly, willingly submitted himself to the Father because that was the function and that's what needed to be done, right? And then the way that God submitted himself to Christ is in, 
and being there when Jesus wanted something, when he was performing a miracle or whatever, that God was submitting to him in a way, like, okay, let's do this miracle together, you know, it's like, so in that, does that make sense? Yeah. So again, there is no hierarchy in the Trinity. And I believe that God, when he made male and female, that it wasn't a hierarchical, hierarchical thing. I think that that's something that we developed ourselves. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it will be fruit, it will be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Look at verse thirty one. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning the sixth day. You know, that's the only thing in all of creation that God said it was very good. Everything else he said is good and stuff. And so when he made man in his image, and again, that man doesn't just mean man, it's mankind. When he made man, male and female, in his image, he looked at it and said, that's very good. And so, you know, and the thing is, again, one of the reasons why this is so important is that the the the, the Familial relationship is a representation of God to the world. The way that I treat my wife as a believer is a testimony to unbelievers. The way that she treats me as a believer is a testimony to unbelievers. So when unbelievers see our marriage, they should see a picture of God in our marriage. Not that we're holier than thou or, or that we're perfect or anything like that, because obviously we're not. But people should be able to look at our marriages and see something that's like God in that. Because, again, uh, you know, the whole Bible talks over and over about our relationship with God is a marriage relationship and stuff. Um, so very soon, so right after we read this in the, in, in the book of Genesis, we all know the story about how Adam and Eve ate off the tree of the garden and they fell. God kicked them out of the garden of Eden. Immediately following, you see Sodom and Gomorrah, you see the flood, and you see man's progression towards wickedness, the Tower of Babel and stuff. And so what happened is immediately following, after the fall, people's hearts start going away from God. With that included is that in everyone's actions, everything that they do, everything that mankind did in the way that man was, became sinful, right? And, and so instead of seeking God, instead of following God, man began to seek his own self, his own pleasures, his own sins, rather than seeking God, right? Part of that, and part of that fall, was that man stopped treating woman the way that God intended him to. I mean, it's, I mean look, at, look at Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So immediately, man starts treating woman as, as a possession, as something to own rather than something that's equal, something that's, that's to cherish and something that, that God has given him, something that, you know, not a helper and stuff. It started even before they left the garden when he blamed her. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. That is a real good point. 
Because yeah, that's exactly what happened. And uh, you know, and that's that's the thing. You know, uh, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. You know, and that's that's what happens whenever we sin and God calls us on our sins instead of owning up to it and saying, God, you, I'm the man. I'm guilty. I've I've sinned. You're right. I need to repent. You know, we we always blame someone else, and just like you say, it's in the heart of mankind because of the fall and because of his sinful nature to blame it on the woman. Well, the woman made me do it. Well, the woman didn't make you do anything. You did it on your own, right? And uh, yeah, that's good. And so um, I think that from that place is where where slowly over over the years the relationship between men and women began to evolve to where it was uh women became possessions it, where did polygamy come in where did you know all through the old testament you see men with 12 wives and and look at the kings of israel they had 200 concubine, concubines and hundreds of wives and stuff. Where did that come from? That was not God's original intention. God's original intention was one man and one woman, right? God created one woman for that man and stuff. And so again, this is all just indicative of their sliding away from God and now they're no longer seeking God and they're no longer doing... And even the people that loved God were still had a mixture in their hearts. Um, like you, you read the story of, of David and Saul, um, how David had married Michael, right? And Saul was going, coming to kill Michael, or not Michael, but David. And um, so David's wife put an idol in his bed and made it look like him. This is the king's daughter married to David who still had household idols. And so the people's hearts were turning away from God. And when, when that happens, that happens in every area of your life. And, and it happens, I think, it starts in your closest relationships. What's your closest relationship? The way, relationship of a man and woman, right? And so um, one of the things when we're, when we're studying the Bible, we already, we've already talked about when you study the Bible with, um, with hermeneutics, you want to talk about who was it written to? Why was it written? Um, when was it written? All those kinds of things are important. Because, and why is that? The thing is, is because um, societies change, right? And sometimes when we read the Bible, there was a reason why Paul was writing the things to the Corinthians that he was writing. Because they were out of control, Right? But what applied to them might not necessarily apply to you, right? When he was talking about to the Corinthians that they weren't properly examining themselves before they took communion, and because of that, some of them were sick, some of them were dying. So when we read the Bible, it doesn't always just necessarily apply to you. Does that make sense? Now, it does apply to us in the sense that if I start not examining myself, if I start living like this, then God's going God's to see my life too, right? But the thing is, is again, if you're doing what God has called you to do, then that doesn't necessarily apply to you, right? So basically my point is, is that we want to take Scripture seriously. We want to believe Scripture. We want to live by Scripture, but we want to understand what it's saying. 
And we don't want to be people that just water it down and don't, it's like, because I don't want to believe this verse, I'm just going to make it say something else. We don't want to do that either. But at the same time, we want to understand what God's saying. The problem with the Old Testament Jews is they not only had the Ten Commandments, but they had thousands of other commandments too. It's like, well, you know, I don't want, you can't, you can't walk on a shadow. You can't do all these other things. We're going to add all these laws because we want to be careful and make sure that we obey the tip. And so that's what happens is we as believers. And what happens is, is you have to be careful against that spirit that says, well, you know, I just, I don't, I want I don't want to offend God. So I'm going to make all these rules. I'm going to make all these laws because what happens is that can lead you down the path of nothing but religion. And where you're, all you're doing is keeping laws, all you're doing is keeping rules. So there, there has to be a balance where, um, where you can seek God through the Word of God, but you can do it honestly. And you can say, I, because the thing is, is we want to know God, right? That's the whole reason why we study the Word of God is that so we can know Him. Um, a lot of, like even with a lot of our friends, we think that we know certain things about them, but sometimes that's not always right. But if you do know things about them, you try to honor that, right? If I know my wife hates celery, I'm not going to try to serve her celery. Things of that nature. If I know, you know, if you, if you know things that, that purposely, you know, bother people, you want to avoid those things. And the thing is, is I believe that the Word of God, God has given us His Word so that we can understand who He is. And that includes in every area. And we can't understand who He is if we just say, well, I believe the Bible says this, and that's what it says, and you got to believe me. You can't, you, you're not <laughs> understanding God, you're not obeying God, you're obeying that person. And you're taking what that person said, and you're just saying, well, because he said it, I'm going to believe it. And so, what, again, what we want to do is we want to look at what the Bible says and believe what it says and follow what it says. And if we're wrong, we want to change those things. If we're right, then good, right? Um, and so the, the thing about the Bible is many of the things in the Bible were written specifically to people who were dealing issues at a particular time, right? Um, that, that, are, that are cultural that, that when we read, the, and I'm not saying necessarily that they are or they're, or they're not, we're going to study the scriptures to see what they are, right? And if, they're, if, they're, if that's what God's saying, then we're going to go with it. If, it's, if we see that it's, you know, cultural or, or whatever, then we'll, you know, we'll let ourselves be changed. But what we want is we want God to be true. Um, look at, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul told Timothy to drink wine for his stomach issues. Their, teach, their churches that teach that wine, that drinking in any sort is wrong, right? And again, they're, they're going beyond what the Bible says because Jesus drank wine, the disciple, and again, I'm not saying just go out, be free, and just drink, you know, and get drunk and things like that. But in the Bible, they drank wine. They drank, and the wine that they drank was alcohol. The wine that they drank at the Last Supper was alcohol. And so, again, we as churches, were like, well, you know, to be safe, you don't want to drink anything. And if that's your conviction, I'm fine with that. 
I'm not trying to change anybody's conviction on whether to drink wine or whether not to drink wine. But when we, as a church, begin to make rules and say, you cannot drink wine because you don't want to mess up. You don't want to get too far to the edge, you know. Whenever we, as, a, as people, start thinking in that sort of way, then it becomes a controlling thing. Then it becomes something that's, again, outside of the Word of God. Legalism. Yeah. Um, and, and again, so a lot of the things in the Bible were cultural. Uh, in Romans 16, verse 16, and 1 Corinthians 16, 20, um, Paul said to greet each other with a holy kiss. I mean, do you see that in the church today? Is that something that and, we and enforce? In our culture, that might be kind of weird. Between the honestly. women. Yeah, well, like in this culture, that, that could be weird. But so to the guy, but Paul was writing this to men. I know, but that's what I'm saying. In this culture, that would be weird. So I see what you're saying. Right. It's culturally. So and that's culture. what I'm saying. And is if it, we were in Guatemala, it might be awesome. Yeah. In American culture, it would be really weird. <laughs> but here you have churches being like, well, it needs to be sideways hug. For you know, a guy and you guys, you can only hug this way, and who knows, you know, if a dad can hug his daughter or not. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where do you draw the line? You know, right. so that's just not appropriate to start judging that sort of thing. Yeah. Or well, to judge, basically judging people's motives. As yeah, to of course. What they are, who, you know, what they're doing. And, and that's the thing. Once you start making those rules like that, then you got to enforce them. You know, and and then once you start enforcing them, then it gets really weird. Um, in Japan, it's 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 a rude thing to lay your chopsticks on the table. You're you're supposed to put them on your bowl or whatever. Um, so there's just all kinds of cultural things. In Hawaii, it's rude to 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 be in someone's house with your shoes on. Yeah. You know, and so there are things, and and you can't say that people of the Bible were not. Um, we're not affected by their culture because we are all affected by our cultures. Whether we want to be or whether we don't want to be, people are affected by the cultures. The people of the New Testament were a people of their cultures. Um, now, their cultures were, you know, and it's like we, we always watch Jesus movies and things like that. And, and in the Jesus movies, everyone just loved Jesus. Right, and everyone seemed to be great morally, and everyone seemed to be awesome and stuff like. There was a lot of idol worship in Israel. Um, there was, you know, uh, in um, about five hundred years before BC or whatever, Israel was destroyed because there was so much idol worship that God turned His back on them. And even in the New Testament times, Israel was again destroyed in 70 A.D. And it was because they wouldn't repent from their sins. Even Jacob's daughter took the idols from her dad, Lamech. So Lamech had idols. Yeah. And Jacob's yeah. wife took the idols. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, we, we, we watch these biblical movies and we think, man, they, they were all holy and they were all, you know, following the Lord and stuff like that. There was a lot of wickedness in Israel, look look at the story of the, uh, um, uh, what was the guy that was beaten and left by the side of the road and the, yeah the good Samaritan the guy was traveling on a road in Israel on this road where he's beaten and left for dead and they they just took all of his stuff and that road was well known for bandits being on and they would just jump everyone that passed by pretty much you had you were dumb to go by yourself on that road. 
And so there was a lot of wickedness in, in Israel. And, and basically my point is, again, we are all people of our societies. And we, we fight it to some extent, but even, even still to some point, we're still going to be a part of it. Um, and like even, even to the point where Paul was always telling the people, obey the ones in, over you and stuff. And Paul wanted, and Paul and Peter and the writers of the New Testament wanted the people of God to live according to the rules of the society, right? Just because they became Christians, they weren't to live outside of their society and start doing their own thing. Matter of fact, that's part of the problems that they tried to combat in the New Testament is that you, you're living, you're not working, you're just living unruly lives, you're going around uh, gossiping and, and things like that instead of being productive members of society. He said, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity to sin. Yeah, and so over and over, the New Testament writers would tell the people to be in subjection to the rulers over them, Give to live, con- to live peaceable lives, to, to, you know, to live within the bounds of that society. And so that's not a bad thing necessarily. As a matter of fact, that's kind of something that we have to do. Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 19. Hey, hey, can you hit that light switch for me? Matthew 19, verse 1. It says, When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And again, when you read the Bible... Read the words that, that are there, because those words are there for a reason, right? And a lot of times what we do is we're like, we read the Bible because we have to read the Bible. Or it's like, this is my 15 minutes where I've got to read the Bible today. And we just read it, and we're just like, we just read over stuff. But it says, when, when those words aren't there for it and for nothing. It says, some, it says, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So in other words, they're asking, can I just divorce my wife? And that's exactly what the custom was. They could divorce their wives for any reason that they wanted to divorce them for. They could, they, if, if their wives displeased them in any way, that was it. They could be gone. And the problem with that was, is that um, the wives had, had, no, had no recourse at all. And what's, you know, I mean, think about it. You know, women today, they go to college, and I mean, that's a good thing, but women get educated. As a matter of fact, I've been telling my daughters, go to school, get an education, because you never know what's going to happen. And if, God forbid, your marriage was to fall apart, whatever, you've got a skill to fall back on, you know, because that way you're not completely dependent on your husband. Well, you know, nowadays we have child support and we have stuff like that. Back then, they had nothing. If a woman was divorced, she had nothing. She was on the streets, mm-hmm. and prostitution was usually their only choice. Mm-hmm. But, and so a woman, a man could divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever, but a woman, on the other hand, couldn't even divorce her husband. 
And so, again, this is where society had gotten to. This is the point where society had become, it's like, again, their wives were nothing but cattle to them. Their wives were a possession to them. They could have several wives or whatever, and, and you know, if they didn't like them, they could get rid of them. A double standard. Exactly. And, it's, and it's, it's the same today. Like, back then, you read over and over in the Bible of men who had affairs with women, but if the women had an affair, she would be put to death, Right? I know people that I work with now. They're, they have all kinds of affairs, but if their wife was to do that, that would be over with. And it's, it's, again, there's this double standard that's come down to us that, um, personally, I believe that Jesus tried to stop that. But, um, verse 3, Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So again, Jesus takes them back to the very beginning. And he's trying, these, these are Bible scholars. The Pharisees had the first five books of the Bible completely memorized. They could quote to you the whole first five books of the Bible from memory. And so, and so Jesus is taking these religious people back to the original tension in Genesis 1 that we just read, that God created them male and female on the same plane. God didn't create them to be your possession. He didn't create them to be subservient to, be, to you, to be your slave. He created you to be equal and equally to rule over the earth, right? And so he, uh, verse 5, and he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and rejoin to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Again, if you're one flesh, you're not going to say like, well, this arm's much better than this arm, so, you know, I'm going I'm to reward this arm, but not this arm. You know, if it's one flesh, it's one. It's not, it was, and that's God's design. That's God's intention. His intention was not that the man would rule over the woman. And the woman be a second-class citizen, or the woman be somehow unequal to the man. He created them to be equal. And I find it really interesting that it says, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. He didn't say, now these days, a woman leaves her father and mother and, be, and becomes joined to the man. The original intention was that the man would leave his parents, would leave his things, would, would leave his life. stuff, yeah. and he would become part of, be part of that marriage relation to the wife. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, it's a subtle thing, but it's a real thing. Back then, it was the man is to leave his stuff. Like now, you know, the woman, when, and I've always found it kind of oddly fascinating that a woman takes the man's last name. I actually feel a little bit guilty about that sometimes. <laughs> but the woman takes the man's last name. So in a sense, and, and they didn't actually do it, it was, it was the man leaving his stuff and coming to the, uh, to the marriage. Nowadays, it's again the woman leaving everything that she knows and becoming part of that marriage. Um, verse 6. He says, see, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In other words, no, you can't just divorce your wife because you want to. You can just toss her aside like a, like a dirty old bag. Right. You can't upgrade because your wife's getting older, so right. now you want the newer, the newer model. Right. Verse 7, they said to them, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? 
Look at this, what Jesus says in verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Do you see that? So this is Bible stuff. This is Moses, the man of God. Because of their hardness of heart, he allowed them to divorce their wives. But it was clear, Jesus is showing that it's clear that that was not the original purpose and intent of God. And that's not how God wanted it in the beginning. So even biblically speaking, you can look at the Bible and... I want to be careful. I'm not saying that the Bible's not true or, or any of that. Again, I want to make that clear. But I'm just saying that Moses relaxed some of the rules because of the people's hardness of heart. And so there was a misunderstanding with the people. But the misunderstanding was is that they had forgotten God's original intention. And so Jesus is bringing them back to that original intention. And we as the body of Christ need to come back to the original intention. And that's what God wants because it's in that original intention that's the seed form of what God wants to show between male and female, between man and woman. It is that original thing and we have made it something that it's not. So when we study the scriptures, when we study the scriptures that talk about males and females, when we, talk, <coughs> we study the scriptures that talk about men and women in church, men and women in their relationships, we have to look at it through the lens of the original intention. Does that make sense? And the original intention was God made them male and female together as one. Wow. So again, verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the, from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So again, Jesus is not saying that there's no cause for divorce, right? And I think that we'll leave that to another time. Well, yeah, that's a but the point sense. being, but the point being is that um, Jesus is telling them, no, you can't just divorce your wife because you want to. If your wife is not cheating on you, if your wife is not being unfaithful to you, if your wife is not breaking the covenant relationship, then you cannot just go out and divorce her because you want to. Look at this in verse 10. He says, The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. This is what his disciples said. This was the mindset of the people of this time. If I can't just get rid of this woman, this ball and chain, if I can't just dump her off, I don't want to get married. Why get married if you're going to be strapped down? Why get married? And, and people are like this today. Right? Living together. But why get married if I can't just dump it and get, and get out of the situation? This is, again, this is his disciples saying this. This is not the Pharisees saying that. Um, <coughs> verse 11. But he said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it's been given. My personal opinion on that is, is if you're a believer, it's been given to you. If you're a believer and you've said, I do, then it's been given to you. Because God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true nature of his son. And if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will give life in your body. 
And Titus 2.11 says that the grace of God appeared, giving us the power and the ability to live upright, godly lives in this present age. So the thing about grace is not that we say, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm under grace. No, the thing about grace is God has given you the power and the ability. It is if his spirit lives in you, you can do everything that he's called you to do. Can I give my personal opinion that may not be right, please? Oh, sure. Please say yes. Okay. Um, I think that the whole point of the chapter is, I think a lot of Christians make the point of this chapter that, well, if your husband didn't commit adultery, you can't divorce him. They, or things like that. They make that the, the, the point. And to yeah. me, it seems like the point is, is that these, these Pharisees basically wanted an excuse to just dump their wives for any reason. Right. And what he was really addressing is their heart and addressing the fact that they couldn't see that, that women are, are equal to them in value and that they are to be cherished and loved and, and held to and cleaved to. And, and, and then we make it about, well, did you get a divorce? And was your divorce about adultery? And if it wasn't, then you're in sin. And we make it all about that. When right. really I think what Jesus was making it all about is that they had a huge disrespect of women. Yeah. And he was, like you're saying, trying to get them to see that stop treating your women like they're just chattel and stuff and like they have no importance. And I, I value them just as much. And right. like I think that was the main point. And the, and the reason that he happened to say adultery, I think, is just because he was trying to express to them that it better be a severe issue yeah. if you're going to divorce your wife. It better be like some serious sin. Yeah. If you're in not just this lighthearted, oh, I'm just going to dump her because she burned right. my toes. And that's kind of where I was not going earlier. But, right. Okay. Well, but that's, that's true. I that's mean, because this this is the scripture that people this is the scripture that people use when it comes to divorce. Well, if it's not because of marital unfaithfulness, then you can't divorce. But that's not but the context. That's that's not then, the context of this scripture. Right, the context of this scripture is that you can't just get rid of your wife. Yeah. Okay. And we'll talk about the other thing at some other time. But. Okay. But yeah. Can I uh, open that back door. Yep. The only thing is that the, the chimes were really loud. Um, so if it, well, if I wonder they'd be down now. But I think maybe the front door. Because <laughs> the wind was blowing pretty hard. I can see. It may not be anymore. Yeah. I don't hear the chimes. Okay. So verse 11 again, it says, But Jesus said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only to those whom it has been given. So, so again, the, the point of that is that even, even Moses... And, and the people in the Old Testament were a product of their society. They were a product of, um, of, of their times and the things that were going on in their times. Now, the thing, about, the thing that God wants is he always wants us to bring us back to the place where we... It's just like we, he told the, the Laodiceans. He says, you've left your first love. Come back. Do the things that you did in the, in the beginning. So God always has a starting point for his people, for his church, for his bride, for us personally. Um, a lot of times when you find yourself straying from God, you you, you like, Lord, where did, I, where did I go wrong? And you go back to that point, right? And so the thing is, is God wants to bring his people back to his original intention because his original intention was very good. His original intention is what is... is, is the reason why he created male and female. 
right? Um, so, again, you know, turn to Proverbs chapter 25. We've talked about this scripture a lot before, but it's always good to repeat. Proverbs 25. <coughs> Verse 2. Proverbs 25, verse 2, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It says, But the glory of kings is to search out a matter. So again, when, when we come to the Word of God, sometimes some things... The Word of God can only be understood when we dig into it. And again, it's not... We don't, we don't make it say things that it doesn't say. We don't make it say things that we want it to say. But at the same time, we also don't... Uh, uh, don't go over it lightly. Yeah. It, it, there are many things in the Word. There's so much in the Word of God that you cannot, will not ever understand until you dig into it. Take the book of Romans, for instance. The book of Romans, to me, is, 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 is the greatest piece of literature ever written. You cannot read and understand the book of Romans just with just just by by speed reading through it. You will never understand it. And I'm not saying that I fully understand it, but it took me years in praying, God, help me to understand this book. Help me to understand what you're trying to say. And again, I'm not saying that I fully understand it even now, but there is much in the word of God that you can't just read it and understand it. We need the Holy Spirit, and that's one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into truth. He will teach you. He is your teacher. He's your guider. And we need the Holy Spirit because God purposely hides things in plain sight. Right? Because just like it says in Proverbs, it says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings, us, kings and queens, priestesses unto the Lord, to dig those things up. And it's, it blesses the heart of God when we dig through the Word. It blesses Him because He knows that we really want to know Him. <coughs> right? The Bible talks about, there's a, there's a parable that says that the, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl that was hidden in the field, which when a man found, he went and sold everything that he had so that he could find that pearl. You think about all the precious things of the world, gold and diamonds, none of those things you're going to find laying on the surface of the ground. All of that, you have to dig. You have to dig and stuff. And God buries stuff like that to see us. God loves the joy of creation. It's just like us. It's like parents with their children. You, the, one of the greatest joys as parents is watching your child discover something for the first time. Right? I mean, it's awesome to see your kid for the first time walk, right? Take their first steps. I mean, it makes parents act like idiots, you know? We get all giddy and wah, you know, and stuff. That is the same way with God. Because what happens is that's where the bond is formed. That's when the connection is made. That's when the link is formed. That's when we connect with God is when we dig and we find him and we have those aha moments, Right? You know, so many times you're reading the Word and all of a sudden things that you may have read a million times all of a sudden explode and you can understand it and you're like, wow! And so, and, and God's right there with you and He's like going, yeah! You know, and so. And so there are things, in, and so when we read scriptures of like, 
You know, they say, you know, I do not allow women to speak in church and stuff. If you take that just on the surface, you cannot understand that. And the thing about that is, is how far do you take that? If women can't speak in church, does that mean in the foyer? Does that mean not a word? Right? Because if women can't speak, women can't speak. Okay, if it means if it means women cannot speak in church, then I'm like, you better not say nothing. <laughs> right? You know, it also talks about women should have to have head coverings when they pray. Well, I know that people that are adamantly against women speaking in churches, they don't they don't enforce that one. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it says that that, that men. Uh, are supposed to not have their heads covered when they pray. These days, lots of people wear ball caps to prayer meetings and in church and things like that. So what are we going to accept is from God and what are we going to not accept? What are we going to say? Okay, you know what? I like this one that says women can't say anything because that benefits me anyway. <laughs> but I don't like this other part, you know? And, stuff. and, and that's the thing. We, we can't pick and choose. And when we come to the Word of God, whether we like it, whether we don't like it, if what it says is what it says, then we take what it says. But if it's not that, and the thing is, is like, I, I see the Word of God as, 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 as like a crime scene. There are a lot of things, you, you read the Bible and, and there are clues, right? And so you have to follow those clues. You have to think about what was going on culturally, you have to think about when it was written, what the people were like, what was happening, all that kind of stuff you have to take into account. You can't just read it in the 20th century American mindset because it doesn't always fit. Look at the Old Testament. The Bible talks about, you know, talks about, you know, jackasses. Even the, the King James talks about how in the, in the manger there was the ass and the lamb and stuff like that. It's like, oh, you can't say that. Why can't you say that? Used to be it was common. Now it's a dirty word. What happened? Society changed. And so, and so what once fit does not necessarily fit now. What may be totally wrong to do now was not wrong at one point. And so all these factors have to be taken. They, you have to take these in mind when you study the Word of God. And when we study on the things about women, we have to take that into account because the first mention in the Bible of male and female says that they were equal. Okay, so if we're reading something now that says they're not equal, something's wrong. Either the, if either the Bible contradicts itself, if the Bible contradicts itself, then we just might as well quit what we're doing now and go do something else. Because if I can't believe the Bible, I'm not laying my life down for it. But I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. But the, Okay, so, so when you have a seeming contradiction in the Word of God, then you have a responsibility to find out what that contradiction is. And, and what does it mean and why does it mean that? And that's the problem with us believers. We don't search the matter out. We just go to our church. We listen to our preacher says, well, women can't speak in church. And we're like, okay, that works for me. And the thing is, as Paul said, the Bereans were noble because they searched out the things that Paul, the apostle said. And we listen to things all the time. We never crack open our Bibles to see, well, is that true? Is it not true? 
And God wants to bring his people back, not only to the word of God, but, um, but just to see his intent. Um, so yeah, um, basically for the next few weeks, we're, we're just going to be studying gender roles. We're going to be studying what God meant in those scriptures. Because I believe, it is my belief that, that um, look, at, look at people like J.L. in the Old Testament who killed Sisera and Deborah. Deborah led the army of Israel. Yeah. The whole entire army of Israel, she was in charge of it. She was a judge of Israel. There were only, what, seven judges? She was one of them? So in Hebrews 11, I've always wondered why Barak got credit for that one. That bothered me. Oh my yeah. Lord. Like she was the one who went out. Like, what? But I didn't and, understand. And, and the thing, the thing is, it was all the men. The Bible, the Bible is inspired by God. I, be, I believe that the thoughts and everything that are in the Bible are, are inspired by God. But they're also written through human beings. Does that make sense? And I think that. I think that someone can be inspired by God and still be a human being because God doesn't turn people into puppets. God does not, God, God, God doesn't make your mouth move. God doesn't make your, your I, I believe that God puts thoughts into your head, but they're going to come through the filter of you. Does that make sense? I believe that, um, Paul said we're co-laborers with Christ. And, and the co I believe that the Holy Spirit works with us. I don't believe, again, that the Holy Spirit takes us like puppets and makes us write down autonomously and things like that. And even the gifts of the Spirit, I think that we have to, we who are in charismatic circles have to be careful about, well, like, I just got in my mood, you know, God started moving me and God started doing this and that. Why? Is it edifying? Is, is, it, is, it, is it, you know... Uh, I'm not saying that God won't do that. I'm not saying that God has not done that or that God doesn't do that. But for the most part, God comes to us just like he came to Adam and said, here's the garden. You go and do whatever you want to. You name the creature. You name the creatures. You name it. You, 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 you're in charge of it. You guys rule over it. It's yours. In the same way, God, I believe, gives us gifts and he wants us to work with him on those gifts. And I think that that's the way that the biblical writings were done and that they were, they were written by men who were filled with the Holy Spirit, who were holy men and women of God, but at the same time, they were human. Does that make sense? And so I think that, again, as a product of their times, the writer of Hebrews may have look at that situation and say, well, Barak really did a great job here. Which is true. Well, Barak but did do a good right, job. Right. And Barak so did like have his part true. in it. Right. But but it was it was Deborah who was in charge. No, not Deborah. No, it was Deborah. Oh, oh, that one. Yeah. But the woman, it wasn't Deborah that killed the Yeah, the it was J.L. that killed the leader. Yeah. Yeah. But Deborah was in charge of the army and she was a judge in Israel. She was the judge. Brat was the leader of the army. He was just with mm -hmm. the and she had to go out as the judge to hold his hand. Yeah. But it also says that in Judges at the beginning it says they did what was right in their own eyes at that time. Well the people So like that's did. something that I've always been like, Well does that mean 
you know, I mean, I know it also says the Lord put her in place as a judge, so yeah, it's always been a little. Well, that's the contrast. I mean, the people, the people did what was right in their own eyes. They were doing wickedness, so God would raise up judges to mm -hmm. lead them in the right ways. Right. So yeah. A lot of the wacky stories in the Bible, if you go a few chapters back, it says it precedes people were doing what was right in the just as a preceding a whole bunch of nonsense that happened. You gotta log into it. And that was a critical time in, in history because everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. But the point being is that there there was a judge in Israel who was a woman. That's basically the judges were in charge before kings and stuff, and so she was in charge of the whole nation. So if women aren't allowed to, any leadership, if women aren't allowed to do anything but be wives and be pregnant and have kids and stuff like that, then again, the Bible is contradicting itself. <laughs> I just took your picture. You just, well, someone you just pointed pushed it out where I read that if, um, you know, we know that women prophesy and have gifts and mm -hmm. have gifts of the Spirit, and if you limit that to only the men, then you're cutting off half the body of Christ, half, you know, half the prophecies, half the visions, half yeah. the healings, half the everything, you know. I, I believe God, He was pleased. He said it was very good because He was being equally represented by the male and female, and his all of his traits, 100%, were in them, just 50-50 different ways. Yeah. Well, even in the Godhood, there is female parts represented. Um, oh, talks about how, like, um, you know, I would, you know, talks about how, like, he would gather his chicks under himself and stuff. I mean, that's, that's motherly that stuff. I mean, the word El Shaddai is what, one. the breasty one? Yeah. And stuff, and so, so even in the Godhood, female ship is represented. And 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 male ship, like both. Well, that yeah. was the point, right? That part was already yeah obvious. But but yeah, and the thing is, is again, there were uh, Philip the evangelist had seven daughters that were prophetesses. There was um, there was the prophetesses in in the temple that waited to see Jesus born and and things like that. What do prophetesses do? They speak. Can they only prophesy to women? No. You know? Well, even in Acts 2, it says, and this is fulfilled in your hearing, that um, your, what it says, your daughters will prophesy. And yeah. that's in Acts. That's in the New Testament. So, I mean, and if prophesy is speaking, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. We're, that's just kind of a foundation, and we'll be talking about this the next couple of weeks. We'll we'll get into the scriptures That's and break them down. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, oh, this is really good. Can we go like a that's couple what, more sentences? That's what, <laughs> yeah, that's what cliffhangers do, dude. <laughs> Come back next week. Tomorrow. That's right. Yeah. Next week we'll find our hero. Is so, yeah. That was really good. I'm pretty sure where it said not where it said to not make any images of God. It says neither male or female or mm. any you know any other thing, but it just was interesting to me. Mm. Don't make an image of God as a male or as a female. Uh -huh. just don't. That's good. Yeah. And then he used Esther mightily. Yeah.